Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. But we, we've been in a, in a series entitled Outflow. And really the premise of the series has been Proverbs 4, chapter 20, uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, that above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And so we've been talking about the best way to guard your heart is not necessarily on the defense, but on the offense. It's not just trying to keep stuff out, but it's putting the right stuff in because the inflow will determine the outflow. But, but there's one other caveat that I want, I want to talk about today is it's not just guarding, you know, from without, or it's not just guarding what we, what we put in, but it's also dealing with things that are already there, issues and some blockages on the inside of us that might be hindering that outflow. So, so many of you guys know that I have, I have like a kidney stone in my mouth, weird. So, so really what happens is there's like, there was a, a day where just the perfect right amount of calcium, saliva, and all the ingredients would take a moment and it would calcify a stone in my saliva duck. So it, it basically creates a plumbing problem in my mouth. So anytime I eat something tasty, it just it fills up because your, your taste buds are going. The saliva wants to release. It's a little bit gross. I'm sorry. Um, the saliva wants to release, but it can't. And so if I'm preaching sometimes and you just see this little like bump rising, it's because it's, it's not swollen. It's just fluid. That doesn't have an outlet. And so on top of the flow, it also is like messing up my skin because I'm constantly having to manually push it out. Gross. And every time I eat something tasty, I'm reminded of it. I'm reminded that there's a blockage because I can feel it in my mouth. The scary part is, is I've been functioning now for several months. And it doesn't really bother me anymore. I'm used to, hey, I eat something good, drain it. Bam. And there's, 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 there's really not, not much I can do. I tried to get it out myself. They said, hey, if you eat a lot of sour stuff, maybe it'll push out. So I ate a lot of sour stuff. I love sour things. Might have got a couple cavities, but it did not. It just lodged in there. Had a surgery, failed. How many of you guys know when you wake up from the anesthesia, you're like, oh, thank God it's over. And the doctor says, sorry, man, it didn't work. <laughs> what? You serious? Am I dreaming? And so it, it, it hasn't budged. So I, I was at the doctor's this last week, and we're having another consultation of what's next. So the first approach was the non-evasive approach. It was the easy way. They go in microscopically, still put me out, put a tube down my throat, about a three-hour surgery. But it didn't work, and so now we got to go the hard way. She's like, yeah, we're going to have to cut it out. And that's the title of my message today. Cut it out. And I felt, I, felt like, I felt like Jesus in a very, in a very uh, minor way. It was like, Doc, is there any other way? Can you take this surgery from me? But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. 
And so she was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit interesting. We're going to have to put a stent on the inside to keep your duck open. Your mouth heals so quickly. You're going to have to come in every week. We're going to have to give you shots. We're going to have to put stitches in every week. I'm like, every week? You can't just like leave them in? or Can you just figure it out on the first round? She's like, yeah, it's going to be a process. Uh. And so, so in reality, you may not have a, a stone in your mouth. This is very rare, by the way. It's, it's not very common, but makes for great sermon material. So I'm like, God, thank you. Use my pain for your glory. But, but, but I guarantee there, there's some stones in your heart. There's some stones in your mind and maybe even in your soul that has been blocking the flow. And, and we could do a couple of things. We could ignore it. We can medicate and manage them. We can deny it or we can let the great physician cut it out. This last week, our shower's been leaking for like five months. It's embarrassing to say. For like five months, we go to sleep and Jack's like, babe, it's still leaking. And then it gets, it gets a lot more intense as the time goes on, but I'm not the handy guy, right? So I uh, finally said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this. So I got on YouTube yesterday, pounded it out, fixed it. Took me like four hours, but fixed it. But there was a little screw on the faceplate that for whatever reason, it, 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 the shower could not turn on because behind the screw where it screws into was all dismantled. It's, it's old house, so it was not working very well. So I just decided I'm just going to cut it out. I'm just going to cut the screw out. Faceplate has one screw. It's going to be fine. And guess what? It worked. The hot water's on the opposite side, but who cares? It's not leaking anymore. We're, we're, we're good. It's, it's flowing and it's not leaking. And I think as we, we look at 2023, even when we talk about the new year now, it's already old. You notice that? Like even some of our goals are already old. We're not even talking about them anymore. But, but I, I think the interesting part is that many of us this year set out to implement some, some healthy processes. We wanted to get some things in order, reprioritize certain things. And now here we are, January 29th, and we're already stuck. I did a little bit of research of the top resolutions for this year. And this was Forbes. This seems to be the most popular. If you Google this, this is what you're going to find. And improve mental health, improve fitness, lose weight, improve diet, improve finances. Oh, a little relational one down here. Spend more time with family and friends. And then I added this one. This was my own personal life. Everybody needs 100% grow spiritually. But I thought, man, one thing that we're stuck on is ourselves for sure. Like there, there was none that said, I just want to be more generous. 2023, and I just want to see how I can be a better friend, how I can impact more people, but really kind of stuck on us. Fitness, the health, it's, and then the finances, we need to pay for all the fitness and the health, right? The diet, the way. And, and so I, I think for us, the difficult part is, none of these are bad, by the way. These are all great. If these are some of your goals, don't, don't feel like, oh man, I'm selfish. No, no, I'm not saying that. These are all great. But I think we're not even able to hit some of these because of things that are stuck on the inside of us. So many of us, we've already stopped. And you may have other goals and dreams and things that you're thinking about this year. But, but, but where are you at with those? Because I, I think sometimes we have settled for, for coping and not conquering. Romans chapter 8 makes it very clear. Paul said, hey, for your, for your sake, we are facing death all day long. And he said, we, we are considered like sheep going to the slaughter, meaning we're laying down our lives. 
But he said, despite all of these things, the overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. In other words, that uh, another translation that we are made more than a conqueror in Christ. And sometimes I think when we think about conquerors, we, we think of just great feats. Like Steph Curry, you know, three-point, bam. 49ers winning a great victory. We're going to conquer. can do all things through Christ, right? But, but I would propose that, 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 that conquering is a little bit different. God has not called us to become victims of our trauma. He's called us to be victors over it. And conquering looks like, listen, when we've experienced freedom that we have in Christ, conquering is that we can go back and grab others who are still stuck and point them to the love of Jesus so that they can experience victory. Paul told Timothy, in other words, be strong in the grace that God has given you. And so when we, when we look at our lives, when we look at our freedom, when we look at areas where we're stuck, can I just tell you what Paul's words ring true is that we are overcomers. We have an overwhelming victory that belongs to us in Christ who loves us. Like, like this passage in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2, this is hundreds of years before Jesus came, but Jesus confirmed this in Luke chapter 4, but it says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released, prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with that, or with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. I like another translation says he'll give you a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It says in their righteousness, they will be like great oaks. I love this picture because it's not great particle board. That when the rain comes, it just kind of expands. Like every time Jackie's flooded our kitchen, it's just, the, the counters expand. You, you got that particle board underneath, and it doesn't hold up very well. But, but he said, no, no, no. Be like great oaks, planted, strong-rooted, that he's planted for his own glory. So I, I would say this, that, that you're stuck. On the other side of your stuck, your freedom is not just about you. It reflects the glory of God. Like your freedom reflects his glory. And so people look at you, they're like, man, how are you enduring this with joy? I don't understand how you're still smiling and thinking about other people when you are going through it yourself. It, it affects people's perspective, and you get to point right back to the glory of God. So many of my old friends, when they see my life now, there's just a weird sense of how in the world, what in the world? Are you real? And then what do I do? I just point back to his glory. Just point back to him. All the glory. And so Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he gets up, he opens the scroll in his hometown of Nazareth, and he reads this passage, and he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled. And then the people, you would think that they would rejoice, and people were amazed and astonished at what he was saying, but then the tide quickly turned. Jesus said, a prophet is normally not welcome in his own home, and they're like, wait a minute, this is Joseph's son. And so instantly, they, they wanted to, to kill him. They grabbed him, pulled him out, tried to throw him off a cliff. I'm like, why would you do that? This is a great passage. Beauty for ashes and festive praise for despair. 
But they couldn't get over the fact, this is Joseph's son, like there's no way. We expect the Messiah to be something else and it's not you. So this is like blasphemy. And they try to throw him off the cliff. There was some unmet expectations that they had in mind. And I think that's one of the stones that, that God wants to unclog this year, to remove, to cut out. Is It's really tough to do life with unmet expectations, whether it's toward others, whether it's toward God. Disappointment will mess with your soul. It really will. And a blockage is created in that place of disappointment many times that you can't even believe that God can do the impossible anymore because you're just living in a, in a place of discouragement. You stopped believing. You stopped hoping. I remember there was a time for me that I didn't, I'd rather just live disappointed because then when I was disappointed, I really wouldn't be disappointed because I just lived there. But if I hope and it doesn't happen, then I'm going to be disappointed and I don't want to feel that. Disappointment will mess with you. In fact, Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred. This word, it literally means to drag out, to draw out, makes the heart sick. But a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. And so when things are being dragged out in our life, when they're not moving as fast as we thought, when they're not changing like we had expected, when we had a different picture in mind, it's so easy to throw Jesus off the cliff and be like, it's just not working. And so we move on and we try other things. You must have been just a carpenter's son because it's just not working the way I anticipated. And you can feel the gravity of it. It takes the breath, it, disappointment takes the breath out of you. Discouragement, it takes the life out of you. I remember when we were on our way to Tahoe just a couple of weeks ago with our family, we got all the way up to 50. We're, we're literally, guys, 28 miles from Tahoe. And we hit some traffic, and this is what happened. There was a stone in the road. And guess what we had to do? We're 28 miles. It's vacation. God, we work hard for you. The option was you wait for hours upon hours, or you turn around, go back to Placerville, jump on the 49, all the way through Auburn to 80 back up through North Lake Tahoe, travel around the lake to get to South Lake Tahoe. In the snow, it's storming, it's, the weather's crazy. Three and a half hours turns into nine and a half hours. And about five hours in, you're like, man, should we do this? Six hours, you're like, and then by the ninth hour, you're like, we're almost there, this is great. <laughs> Hope kind of comes back. But un unmet expectations will block the flow. Uh, what about untreated pain? Come on, you can't dive into the new year without looking at some freedom issues. Untreated pain, pain that we should deal with that we're not, maybe because we know and we just don't want to look at it, or because we don't know. Like, like when you think about it, a lot of times people grow up, they don't deal with pain because our family's not weak. I'm fine and I'm great is the words that we use to deal with our pain. I'm fine, I'm great. And then we don't treat it and then we walk around with a blockage. It affects everything in our life. So many different streams, so many different flows, but I'm great and I'm fine. And then if you're great and you're fine and you're a believer, you're like, Jesus took care of everything. I don't need to deal with nothing. It's finished on the cross. We're good. And that's true positionally in Christ. It is done. It is finished. But then there is this process that God walks us through that 
We have in a row, like we're, the Holy Spirit is still transforming us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, more and more into the image of Jesus as we behold him and look at him. He's exposing areas. He's sharpening areas. And, and he's, he's doing things on the inside of us that are causing us to, to, to become more and more like him. That, that the rest of our lives and our habits and all these things are connecting or, or catching up to the position of our soul. And so, so, but we don't like to deal with this stuff. God wants this process of continuing to be transformed. We're like, eh, just untreated pain. God's like, I want to cut it out. I want to deal with it. Look what it says in Jeremiah 16, verse 14. It says that the prophets and the priests, they would dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Basically, wicked leaders among the priests and the prophets of Jeremiah's day proclaimed a false peace, gave them this weak and feeble form of comfort, provided no spiritual healing for, for wounds spiritually, and not having the discernment to deal with their sin, that's caused a lot of pain that people need to deal with. And so there was this deep call in Jeremiah's day back to, ret- back to obedience, to return to obedience. But the priest was like, no, 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 it's not a big deal. Just, you're fine. You're great. It's good. We're just not going to look at it. We're not going to deal with it. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. What, what about unresolved past issues? And this is a little bit tricky, too, because it can be big things or it can be little things. I think sometimes the small stones like I have, there's still a little bit of flow. There's not a complete blockage. So you can function with it. You can move with it. But sometimes we ignore our past just because we don't want to deal with it. Other times there's just, there's family behaviors and dysfunction that has become our normal. So we don't even see that there's a problem. Like people around you may see it. If you get married, your spouse may see it. But it can be hard to detect because it's always been. Our family's always been angry. We've always been prideful. Like we've all struggled with fear. We're all negative. Family's always been gossips. Lust has been a part of our family for years. It's just, and so it can be, it can be hard to pinpoint. And as a result, it goes unresolved. We, we don't deal with it. Ephesians, Paul says in Ephesians 4, and don't, let, don't sin by letting anger control you. Normally, anger is a secondary emotion. It's because you've been hurt. There's been pain. There's been dysfunction. There's been wounds. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the enemy. And so Paul is saying, listen, if, if there are some just kind of cultural norms for you that are biblically dysfunctional, you, got, you want to deal with those. If there's some things from your past that goes unresolved, Paul's like, you got you to put anger in its place. You, you want to cut that thing out. I mean, if it's a righteous anger, it's cool. But not like anger, anger. Not like you're hurting people with your anger. And so, so what Paul is saying is this, and Paul is saying, hey, don't let the sun, don't let a day go down. Some of us have been living with anger for years. And God's like, I want to cut it out. It's, it's blocking the flow. You, the enemy has a constant foothold in your life. And then what about this one, underdeveloped, underdeveloped theology? This one is the closest to my heart because this creates a distorted view of God, which gives you a distorted view of self, which gives you a distorted view of the world. And so, so with this one, there's kind of an idea of what you may have that God should be like, but it's not a solid theological 
understanding of who God says he is. And so, so the problem with that is that when things don't happen the way that we want them to happen, like we have an idea of what God should be like and how God should work, and when he's not like that and it doesn't work like that, we get frustrated. It's like, oh, well, you must not be working. Like, I can't believe, like, you would let this happen. Ephesians chapter 4 says it this way. Paul says it this way. He says that, he says that you'll, you'll be tossed back and forth like the wind with all these various teachings. Like, there's just no, there's, there's no solid ground. It's like, oh, maybe it's this. Oh, maybe God's like this. And, and as a result, he said there's a lack of truth. There's a lack of maturity. There's a lack of growth. It blocks the flow. When you don't have a healthy theology, a good doctrine of who God is and what he's like, you'll be tossing back and forth by every wind of teaching. And so when things are working good, God is good. When things are working bad, going wrong, you're like, something must be wrong. Where are you? First Timothy chapter 5, verse 22. This is, let me give you an example of how we can distort things. I grew up knowing this passage like this. So 1 Timothy 5, verse 22 says this. Don't be quick to lay hands on anybody. Don't be quick to do that. So I grew up being taught that you lay hands on people, they may have a critter. They may have a little demon. So then it's like when people are, hey, will you pray for me? You're like, I don't know. Let's have a conversation first. I'm going to be quick to lay my hands on you because I don't want what you have transferring over to what I have. And in reality, the context of that passage, Paul is saying, don't be quick to lay hands on somebody and put them in a position of authority. (laughs) So it's totally out of context. Don't be quick to put someone who is immature, doesn't qualify as an elder, don't put them in a place of authority or position because they're going to lead people astray and that's dangerous. But it has nothing to do with critters and demons. Are you tracking with me on that? And so when you have an underdeveloped theology, it affects the flow. So we have to know our Bibles. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.3 says this, For a time is coming when people will no longer put up with sound and wholesome doctrine. It's I don't care what the Bible says. I want it to say what I want. I don't care what it really means as long as it works for what I desire and my opinion and how I think. And it says they will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. So, oh, oh, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Even though it's true, it's like you leave the church and go somewhere else. You'll find somebody that will agree with you. Paul's like, you got to have sound doctrine. You don't want to be underdeveloped theology. It'll be a major stone for you this year, and it'll block the flow. And then lastly, what about unrepentant sin? Notice I didn't say unconfessed sin. I said unrepentant sin. We're good at confession. Man, I feel so bad. Man, I'm so sorry, God. I know I'm going to do it again next week, but I'm sorry today. And remember, repentance, we talked about last week, is it's, it's an about face. It's, I was moving in this direction. I got heaven's view on the matter, and I'm like, whoa, I'm moving in a different direction. And so, so this, this right here will, will clog up your flow with the Lord so quickly you wonder why your relationship with God feels dry. It's not the only reason why your walk with God could feel dry, but there'll just be a sense of disconnect. Boring. There'll be just this kind of heaviness. Uh, 
And, and a lot of times we, we don't, we, we want to ignore our sin. I, I think the, a lot of times in the world it's like this. If I acknowledge there's a God, then I have to deal with my life. So it would be very easy for me just to pretend that he doesn't exist. Because then I can ignore, I can medicate, manage, I can try to fix it on my own. And, and we, we've all been there. It's like, all right, God, like, man, I'm so sorry. Let me try really, really hard to fix this. And then we keep falling back into the same pattern. And God's like, listen, I love you too much to leave that stone in your heart. I love you too much to, to leave you there. Psalm 32, uh, this happened with King David. It says, when I kept silent, now King David at this moment, he's like, God, we're just not going to talk about it. I know I just laid with another man's wife, got her pregnant and killed him, but we're not going to talk about that. Let's just keep it moving, God. Let's not deal with that. I'm still the king and I'm still going to look over my governing affairs and I'm still going to do my job. Let's just not talk about that. And it, and it said that it started to affect him physically. His bones wasted away and he had this groaning. God's hand was just heavy upon him night and day. Why? Because God loves David. God's like, man, I can't just let you live like this. Like, there's a major blockage. It's disconnected from me. You're not walking in integrity. This is not who I made you to be. Like, this is not my best for your life. Like, come on, Dave. Like, I just, you know, like a loving parent, like, I just can't let you get away with this, man. Like, I'm going to press you until you know and you come to your senses like, oh, my goodness. And he said that my strength was dried up. It just was tough. And then the writer says, Selah, which means just pause contemplate and think about this. It's so easy to just say, God, I don't want to talk about it. And we live with the hindrance in our life. Like God's like, man, I have so much flow for you. There's, I have, my, my, my design is so much better, but there's a blockage. And so, so the question is, is, is what, what do we do? How do we deal with this as we move into this new year? How do we deal with some of these internal things? I love what Ezekiel 36 says, because some of you right now, you're like, okay, here we go. Got to try really, really hard now. Put your game face on, going after all these things. But Ezekiel says it this way. He says, I will sprinkle you clean. Now he's speaking to the Israelites, but the principle stands for you and I. He says, then I will sprinkle you clean with I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart. I will put in you a new spirit. I want you to hear the language here. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. And I will give you a tender, responsive heart. How beautiful is that? And the language, I'm going to do a work in you. And then he goes on to say, he says, and I will put my spirit in you, ready, and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of, okay, I just got to try really, really hard to please God. That, sound like, that sounds more like God says, man, I really, really have a heart for you. And I'm going to do a work in you that you can't do in yourself. That's going to bring such a transformation, such a healing, that where those stony areas once were, it's going to be tender and flesh. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus told his disciples, he says, hey guys, I'm going to make you fishers of men. 
Not try really, really hard to follow me and be fishers of men. No, no, no. I'm going to make you fishers of men. That word make, it means to manufacture, to construct. Like, I'm going to do a work in you. So my encouragement to you today is about posturing ourselves, not pressuring ourselves. It's a difference. If your walk with God constantly feels like pressure, it's a theological issue. And maybe some stones, you just have a distorted view of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus didn't say, hey, follow me, and I want to make it so heavy for you. He said, dude, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When you're walking with me, it's not the absence of hard work, it's the right work with me, so even the hard work you can bear because I'm with you. I can carry a load that you can't. And so it's about positioning ourselves, not pushing. So I'm going to land with this passage. It's a familiar passage. If you've been in church for any amount of time, don't check out here. Go in somewhere different that you probably don't realize. So lean in with me. Paul says this to the Romans. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Very important part of this verse. You hear me talk about this all the time. It's important. Especially you've been in Connect class, you've heard this. To offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Better translation, more literal, says this is your reasonable act of worship, meaning in view of all God has done, in view of his life, his death, his resurrection, his love for you, his grace towards you, in view of all of who he is toward you, offer your bodies. See how it changes the motivation? It's not just like try really, really hard, present your bodies, do it, let's go, we can do all things. No, no, it's, he says, and don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but look at the wording, but let God transform you. Let him do the work to transform you to a person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And so God wants to do a transforming work, but without the proper posture and positioning, there'll be no transforming. Our job is not to do the transformative work. Our job is to put ourselves in a position and a posture for God to do. Are you with me on that? And so you want to get a view so you can have the right motivation, the right posture, so God can transform. And, and the tough part is, is like living in that posture. Like he's not saying offer your bodies one time. He's saying, no, this is how you live your life. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I, I think so many times we think we've postured ourselves, but we haven't. Let, let, me, let me give you another picture. Peter, when he's out, Jesus is about to call him to like follow him for real, for real. Peter might have known of Jesus, had some interactions with him, but, but Peter just constantly positioned himself for God to do a work in his heart. It was just a constant posture. And Jesus said, hey, Peter, can I use your, use your boat to preach? Peter's like, yeah, use my boat. And so Jesus is using his boat, and what is Peter doing? He's listening to what God is saying. He's just posturing himself. He's positioning himself to hear, well, God, yeah, use whatever I have, absolutely. And then Jesus will say, hey, Peter, why don't you get in the boat and let's go drop our nets in the deep for a catch. And Peter knows that as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, you catch fish in the shallow at night, not in the day, in the deep. But despite his logic, he's like, okay, God, because you say so, meaning I'm just gonna posture myself to trust you despite my logic. I'm gonna position myself and watch what you do. And what does Jesus do? Man, next thing you know, it's the biggest catch of Peter's life. 
And then all of a sudden what Peter does is he takes another posture. He's like, oh my goodness, you like, you really are God, dude. He falls to his knees and he's like, get away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. You see a repentance. Repentance didn't come because Jesus punched him in the face. It was his kindness. It was his grace. The Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so Peter's just overwhelmed with, oh my, like you were being way too good. I do not deserve you to be this good to me. And then Jesus looks at him and he says, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you, or from now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. And then what happened? Peter leaves the biggest catch of his life. He says he left everything, the nets, the boats, to follow Jesus. What did he do? He just postured himself, just positioned himself. So when you hear us saying, hey, we want you to get into a small group. Man, we'd love for you to jump into the one-year Bible. We'd love to get on our serve team. We're not saying those things are going to transform you. We're just trying to help posture you in an environment where you can hear from God, where God can do a work on the inside of you. You see him moving in and through you, and it's like, whoa. And, and this transformation process continues to happen. We're not trying to pressure you. We're not trying to, you know, put this big old weight on you. No, it's like we're just trying to create environments so you can grow and posture yourself like Peter, like the disciples, for God to do a transformative work on the inside of you. Peter didn't say, man, I have to follow Jesus. Man, I'm... Man, man, you have to follow him too? No, he's like, I'm looking at the fish and I'm looking at him like, peace. I desire to follow you. But that desire also came with a dying to himself. That desire also came with a dying to himself. That's why, that's why look at Paul says this. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's He's saying every single day, like this is a constant to live every day to offer your bodies in this way. And he's using the word sacrifice because something has to be put to death. That's why he's using the word sacrifice. And so what Paul is saying is, is are, are, are you ready to put to death and to posture yourselves to give up the right for you to live as you choose every day? That you're, you're dying to yourself, you're giving up your rights that you don't belong to yourself anymore. You're giving up the, the reality that you know what's best for your life. And you're saying, God, I'm in. When you give up that control to him, it feels like death. But at the same time, it's a living death. It's a living sacrifice. It brings so much life at the very same time. It's a death that leads to life. Are you guys with me? But, but there, there, there's a dying. So I want to land the plane here. Dr. Gershner, he gives this story of this woman that he knew, young girl. He's talking about the, the, the life of offering our bodies as living sacrifice. He's talking about this reality, giving up the right to decide what's right or wrong for you. That God, I'm, I'm, all, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting your word. My life is submitted to you and to your word. That I'm no longer deciding what should happen to me or what shouldn't happen to me, where you would send me or whatever the case is, like I'm all in. And he tells the story of this young girl. She's 15, 16 years old. She's at a conference. Worship's going, probably hymns. It was in the 1930s. Probably didn't have a band. But the worship and the pastors are preaching and speaking and she gets cut to the heart. And she says, you know what? I, I'm going to commit my life 
to missionary service in Asia. I just have a heart for Asia. I'm going to commit the rest of my life as a 15, 16-year-old girl. She said, I'm all in. And, and doc, Dr. Gersher said, he said that I've seen a lot of kids make commitments. Two weeks later, like resolutions, they're gone. But something was different with this girl. He said she did the research. She was in high school still, but she, she did her homework. She, she knew the dangers. People were getting persecuted and martyred and slain for their faith in the 30s in Asia. Like, it's one of the worst times in history to be a Christian in Asia. She, she saw the fear. She saw all the things, but there were two requirements as she visited multiple missionary agencies. There were two requirements. You had to be trained and you had to be married. So she said, Lord, I take my hands off my life. I give you everything. I don't care about my comfort. I don't care about my safety. My whole life is yours. Everybody, all, everybody my age is off to have fun. For me, I'm going to go. I'm gonna give my life to missionary work. I'm gonna give my life to you in totality. I'm gonna to get trained. I just need one thing from you. I'm gonna get trained, I'm gonna do that part, but I need you to give me a husband. So she goes to Bible college, works her tail off, graduates, no husband, no boyfriend, no prospect. She goes off to some missionary training school, completes that, no husband, no prospect, no boyfriend. So she's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm working on the training, so I'm going to grad school. So she, she goes to grad school, and on graduation night, she sat angry at the Lord. Because she said, here, I, I, I've given you everything. And I just asked for one little thing, a husband. Like I've, I've given up everything for you. I've relinquished my life and I just asked you for one thing. So she said she sat on her graduation, I just angry at God. And as she sat, as she prayed, the Holy Spirit began to speak to her and all of a sudden, it, it dawned on her. She, she's like, man, I'm, I'm really kidding myself. She said, man, I'm not miserable because I've taken my hands off of my life. She's like, I'm miserable because I never have. She said, I've developed this idea of this heroic life that would be noble. If I could live as a missionary, and it would be a life worth living. It would be valuable. It would be worthy of a call and of a cause. She said, but the whole time she's saying, God, this is the life you have to give me. And here's how you need to get it for me. And I'm gonna do everything to put you in a debt so you owe me that you will do that for me. And she said, I realized that I wasn't serving God, I was using God. I was telling him what to do. And she said, that night for the very first time, she said, I truly took my hands off of my life. I truly let go. God, whatever you have for me, whatever you want to do. And, and, and Dr. Gershner says this. He says, he's looking at the audience. He says, and if that girl spent a third of her life preparing for missionary service, leaves everything, fun, safety, comfort, everything, and thought she had taken her hands off of her life and realized she hadn't, do you think you have? 
And his encouragement was, look again. She ended up saying, God, you know best. You're infinitely wise and you're infinitely loving. So I'll obey. Anytime you say, I'll obey if, what you're sacrificing for is really what's on the other side of that if. She was really sacrificing for her husband. Not in worship to God. Tough one to swallow. She's like, God, I'm no longer going to pick and choose my life. Whatever you say, when we want to pick and choose from the Bible what we want to pick and choose from, we're still in control. We still are holding on to our life and saying, sorry, God, I'll take that, but I won't take that. That's why Paul says, I want you to offer your bodies. Now, this would have been really weird for Greeks and Romans because Greeks and Romans put very little value on the body, a lot of value on the spirit and soul, the afterlife. But what Paul was saying is this, your body is a reflection of your soul in the earth. God wants it all. He wants your private world and he wants your public world. He wants your inner life and he wants your private life. He wants it all. To offer your bodies is a living sacrifice in view. Get the right view. Get the right posture. And then let God transform you as you let go of your life and surrender to him. Can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it is possible today, no matter how big the stone, because his stone rolled away, he can remove ours because he's alive. His ear is not deaf to our cry. His arm is not too short that he cannot reach into any heart, any stony heart and create a heart of flesh so that you and I will never be the same. My question to you today is this, have you let go of your life? Or are you still in control? You'll function, but you'll never live. God is calling you to life. Would you stand on your feet? Let me pray for you. <clears throat> Father, I thank you, Lord, that even as we, as we look at this, it, Challenging, but it's, it's almost alleviates the pressure, God, that you have to change us. The scary part is the surrender. The scary part is letting go of control, letting go of outcomes, not being able to manipulate circumstances. It's hard for us, God, because we want to control everything. I know all of us have some level of that in our life. But I pray today would be a moment like this young girl had a moment of clarity, a moment of honesty, that the areas where we've yet to relinquish control, God, that we would, that you might remove some of these stones from our hearts, that we could have a year, God, that wouldn't be determined by our goals, wouldn't be determined by our dreams, but would be determined by a posture of our heart that says, God, whatever you want. God, whatever you want from my life, however you want to position me, however you see things this year, that's what I'm after. It's such an antithesis of the world's kingdom. It's so upside down, but God, I pray that you would, you would help us to see it's, it's not just a sacrifice. It's how we live. It's, it's in that place we become alive. There's no pressure. There's no pushing. It's I'm walking and I'm following because you are doing a work in our hearts, God. Your beauty 
and all of your mercy that we're gazing upon and all that you've done, God, just move us to say, absolutely, it's my reasonable act. I give you my life. I give you everything. I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. And you said that you would do the transforming work. And then at the end of that, Lord, on this journey, you said that we would know your will, your good, perfect, and pleasing will. We would learn to know and understand what your will is for our life. And so God, I pray that this would be the posture today. Not a pushing, a posturing, a positioning ourselves in environments this year for you to speak to us, for you to heal us, for you to transform us, God. Lord, that we wouldn't do life by ourselves and we get some people around us that can encourage us and strengthen us and maybe see some stones that we don't see. Thank you again for tuning in to The Fountain Podcast where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.